Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and David Jones. It's another edition of the Blue White Breakdown, and today we have a member of the enemy. Yeah. The enemy camp. Longtime Ohio State uh, beat writer. Jeez, and when I say long time, I mean long time because he did it for the Columbus Dispatch for like over four decades. Uh, Football Writers Association Hall of Fame, fame member. You got the, what was that award? You they gave you some uh, beat writer of the year a few years ago. Anyway, his name is Tim May, and he now works for On Three. What's what's the name? It's Letterman Row is the name of the uh, On Three uh, Ohio State. LettermanRow.com. We got absorbed by On Three dot com a year and a half ago. We got such a history, the two of us. Just uh, full dis- disclosure. I think you were the first person I ever talked to who was a real live journalist back in 1980 for a class I was in at Ohio State. Do you remember this? Uh, we've talked about it. Do you remember this? I'm going to fake like I do, but I really, seriously, I don't. But, but I'll, I'll, I'll play along. Are there, wait a minute. Are there prizes at the end if I play along? <laughs> we've known each other 42 years, but... The reason we're having Tim on is that he can, I think he can give a pretty keen perspective on where Penn State sits in this leagues for, for one reason, because he's been covering it longer than Penn State's been in the league, which isn't true about a lot of people covering college football in the Big Ten now. But also because I would say, what, what do you, how would you couch, how would you um, um, characterize the Penn State-Ohio State rivalry such that it is at this point? I think it's uh, such as it is as we speak. It's been a little lopsided Ohio State for the most part, you know, recently. But uh, there's no doubt about it, man. When the when Joe Paterno and company rolled into the league in the uh, early '90s, I mean, they didn't come in shorthanded. Let's put it that way, sort of like Nebraska did. <laughs> Although Nebraska wasn't that bad when they first showed up, but uh, you know, Joe Pye had them ready for the uh, to, to step into the Big Ten. I mean, he relished. He relished being part of the club, you know, from what I could tell. And, you know, for a while there, they were they were they were a domo, you know. They obviously we know what all what happened, uh, the fall off, et cetera. But now they've climbed back. But boy, it's hard, it's hard to climb back to the top of the mountain, as you know, Dave, uh, once you've fallen off. That's why you give credit to these programs uh that get at or near the top and stay there, because it's it's tougher to stay there than it is to get to the top. But right now I would say they're in a good position. If it was Mount Everest there at the the probably the base camp just below the peak, but sitting on the peak, 
uh, you know, is Ohio State, which kind of got shoved to the side last year. But, I mean, when you look at it again, I mean, it, uh, there you are, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. That's a pretty good triumvirate. So that's the way you look at them in a, in a, in a trio with those three at the top? Yeah, and maybe in that order, Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State at this point. Uh, boy, you got to give you got to give Michigan his props. It won the Big Ten last year, <laughs> you know. So uh, you know they finally got that monkey off the back, and all of a sudden it's, they're running around like they invented football again. So you know that's that is what it is. That's another that's another podcast. Well, well, I wasn't I wasn't going to get into this, but what do you think of Harbaugh's statement that he's not just going to go out and blatantly pay for players? You know. There's a when there's a truck rolling through town uh, and it's taking you to a different place, you either jump on or you don't. And buddy, you know, we are we are not as in we, we guys who cover it, uh, the guys who play it, the schools that sponsor it. Uh, this is not this this puppy is not going back into the uh into the lamp, man. This Aladdin has emerged and it's going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. As I told you, man, it's like uh uh, the NCAA's finally come to terms. They're trying to like fix a fix the bus in Chicago, not knowing the bus is already in St. Louis. You know, and uh, <laughs> there's no going back on this. They may retreat in some areas, or they may come down hard and decide, hey, we're going to be we're going to stand uh, you know together in large to try to at least stem some of the stuff that's going on. Which you know, let's face it, it you should you should still be able to differentiate differentiate between the NFL and, and big time college football from the standpoint of the way it's structured, et cetera. But uh, you're never getting that name, image, and likeness thing back in the uh, back in the bottle and the transfer portal. You've given too many people too much freedom. They can legislate some things that can, like, maybe curb that a little bit. But when you compi- combine those two, you know, <laughs> what's that old saying? Once you've, once you've tasted freedom, man, you don't want to go back. And uh, that that's what these players are feeling right now. Now let's get at this. Uh, you're you're a 68 year old man, and you've been a fan of this game for over half a century. Yeah, growing up on you grew up in Alabama with Joe Namath and Kenny Stabler and Stedman Sheely, and uh, I wasn't there for Stedman Sheely, or but go ahead. You were in Lufkin, Texas by then, I guess. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The, the point the point is that your love of the game comes from a very basic and soulful place, I think, at a time when even coaches were making no more than our dads, you know? Um, What is your response when you hear fans say that NIL is the death of college athletics? It's not a terse response. It's not succinct because there's a lot of explanation going on. And, you know, ironically – we just put my mom and dad's ashes finally to rest uh, at Bethany Baptist Church, north of Northport, Alabama, this past weekend. And uh, but we stayed at the Capstone Hotel, which is in literally straight across the street from the Alabama uh, football facility, and literally three blocks west, east of uh, Bryant Denny Stadium. And you know, walked by that place with first games I went to with my older brother and my and my dad way back when. The place seated like 40,000. Now, of course, it's one of the great palaces of major college football. That, that's a great example of how far it's come. The same thing has happened with Beaver Stadium. You know, it, 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 exactly the same thing. But the, but the football facility, as we as we've come to know and to lovingly call those buildings, and then the stadiums are great examples of how far the game has come since the 1960s. In both in both state college and in Tuscaloosa, 
And Ohio Stadium was always pretty large, but of course now it's a hundred and uh, it's one hundred and five thousand instead of like I think originally sixty nine thousand. You know where I'm going. But my point is though, a lot of things like coaches' salaries, et cetera, escalated during those times. But the way the players, uh, the players' tuition, room and board, books, and a little bit of a stipend to live on did not escalate. So this was all coming one way or another. You know, it's funny, Dave, because last year I was marveling at the fact that the NCAA waited so long to not pay players uh, maybe what they were their just due that someone else came along and decided to do it. <laughs> you know, name, image, and likeness. So that 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 monkey was off their back. You know, and uh, and this is a funny thing. What I was getting to about shoving everything back in the bottle. They waited so long that states past or executive orders were signed that in essence give players the legal right to name image and likeness proceeds, not an NCAA rule that allows it. And that's a total different deal because NCAA does not, you know, does not, you know, they have legislation all the time, but it's not true legislation. It's not law, it's rules. Well, in, in Ohio, Alabama, Pennsylvania, Everywhere, people now have laws that allow uh, college athletes to uh, take part in name, image, and likeness. So that's not going in. But the point is, yeah, you and I talked about this before many times, uh, whether we're shooting a bull. This is what I want to know from you. Is this going to ruin college football? I don't think so in the slightest, not, in, not even in the slightest. I think it remains to be seen because – you know, we all know about the uh, the kid who committed to Miami. Now he claims he didn't do it because of the promised uh, name, image, and likeness deal he got. I mean, uh, C.J. Stroud is now legally driving around in a Mercedes AMG, uh, whatever it was called, super wagon. Uh, he turned down a Bentley for that. You know, my, my point is I'm not sure where this is going. Uh, I am glad to be here, though, when things did change dramatically because I was calling for players to be sharing in the largesse 30 years ago, uh, maybe longer ago than that. But when, when, when the, when television got involved, it changed everything that, you know, no television shown it's right. No television network is in right. Mine is going to pay hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars to uh, show. Well, they might to show Ryan Day going against James Franklin, you know, on, uh, on Xbox, you know what I mean? <laughs> they want to see the players doing their thing. And uh, that's the value of the player. This is what I'm getting at. I mean, are people going to quit going to, to – are they going to quit watching games? No, they're not going to quit watching games. And, and would it be better if we still had guys walking around in suits, athletic directors and associate athletic directors – Re- and, and presidents reaping the benefits of this huge TV money rather than families of football players. I say, hell no. No. Would you rather no. see that? No. Uh, you wouldn't because really they're doing the same jobs they were doing many years ago, except now they have many more assistants, you know, helping them do it, for example. Yeah, if Gene Smith was running a 36-sport uh, Ohio State athletic program all by himself, uh, that would be a different deal. I don't be I don't don't begrudge guys in those positions for making that that kind of money though, because these are big 
big corporations they're running, whether they want to call them corporations or not. The only thing you begrudge is the fact that the players weren't sharing in it like they should have been. Ohio State, though, through the years, whatever, quote, legally, end quote, was available to the players from the NCAA rules standpoint, they've tried to make available to them. And obviously, you know, this year, you know, you're getting, I think the players are getting like a $6,000 stipend. Uh, all athletes are, all scholarship athletes are a $6,000 stipend uh, that's new to help them with, uh, you know, their otherwise uh, expenses of going to college, which is, which is a step in the right direction. But boy, is it late, you know, really late. I don't think it even matters anymore. No, it doesn't. But but enough of the money because people will 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 glaze over everyone's eyes if we talk about money forever, and that will. <laughs> Before we go from that day, and they may glaze over thinking about it, whatever. But it is here to stay in some form or fashion, and you better get used to, for one of another way of putting it, an almost bidding war uh, as this thing escalates. I just don't know why this bothers some people, but teenage kids um, in all other sports, uh, bonus babies in baseball, hockey, basketball, making this kind of money, that bothered people as long as they're pros, but making it within the college athletics uh, realm that was supposed to be sacrosanct for, for anything like that to happen, this bothers people. It was always a big, dirty business, and they just didn't get it. They didn't get part of it. That's all. That's all. So enough of it. Enough of it. I'm sitting outside Maurice Claret's uh, apartment way back in uh, 2003 when all that mess was going on, and there were some little kids there. And uh, uh, I'm there with a couple other reporter guys from TV, from Channel 10 here, but uh, we're just sitting there hanging out waiting for him to come home or something. And uh, to ask him some things. But anyway, and I was asking those little kids, are you surprised that uh, Maurice Claret has a nice car, you know, for example? And no, they weren't. You know what? And, and one little kid goes, no, he goes, because he's the biggest sports name in town. This is a little kid, 13-year-old kid. <laughs> little kids got it way back when. I did a story on, on Rick Nash, the first big-time bonus baby for the Columbus Blue Jackets, and Terrell Pryor back in 2009, I think it was. And the premise of the story was, if these two guys were walking down the streets of Columbus, which one would you more quickly recognize? Without a doubt, it was Terrell Pryor. You're Terrell Pryor. Exactly. So this has been a long time coming uh, about these guys getting something other than just recognition uh, of their image. You know, it's about time they got some money for it. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Uh, let's, let's completely shift gears. I try to make uh, smooth transitions instead of 90 degree ones like this. But Segways. You can't always do it. <laughs> yeah. Describe James Franklin's image as he's seen by the rest of the league in your, in your eyes. You and I have had discussions about him before. I think he's a really good recruiter. There have been decisions made in football games which still make you scratch your head, et cetera, you know? Hey, but if, the, but if, the play, <laughs> but if they had executed properly, they would have won. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, old, that old tried and true explanation of things. But I think he's done a damn good job at Penn State, uh, in my opinion, considering sort of where it was, the abyss that it fell into there for a little while after the uh, Sandusky situation and everything that followed that dude it was always going to be hard to follow Joe Paterno but we all know things had kind of fallen off anyway in the latter years under Paterno kind of like what happened at Florida State to a certain extent under uh, Bobby Bowden and uh, you know Bobby Bowden made the mistake of letting them hire a uh, coach in waiting at his spot and uh, (laughs) eventually they went to they they exercised that option you know Bill O'Brien I think did a did an admirable job but I think James Franklin has uh, – there was somebody in between there, too, or b- before that. I can't remember. I, I can't remember everybody who followed. No, that's it. That's it. Yeah. That's all. But, that's uh, all. That's but all. I think James Franklin – I mean, you look at how they're recruiting even this year and stuff. It's there. But, like, he made a great point several years ago, and a lot of people thought it was excuse-making. I did not. I thought it was basically stating it as as fact, which is the fact is – when you're slightly behind another program, it is extremely difficult to catch up because that other program, like Ohio State, if it's doing things the right way, it is getting better every year. It is improving on uh, either recruiting or facilities and stuff uh, or coaching staffs, et cetera, that are improving it. So you may be improved from one year to the next, but you can't prove it with your one loss record. I think a great example Last year was Nebraska of all teams. The, the games they lost were, were crazy, but the final record spoke for itself, right? But I've always equated it to uh, to auto racing. When a team is slightly ahead from a technology advancement standpoint, you may be working on the same thing, getting to where they are now, but that team is working to get faster even still. And it's really hard to play catch up after you fall behind. I'm telling you, Ohio State, man, has had it going on now since 2012, since Urban Meyer stepped in, and it followed by Ryan Day, who's proved to be quite capable uh, from a recruiting standpoint and facility standpoint. Um, you know, they take a backseat, in essence, to to few uh, in this in this modern age, and it's tough to play catch up, man. I'm telling you, Michigan finally got over the hump last year and finally beat. Ohio State. What's it going to take? What's it going to take for Penn State to do the same thing? Exactly what Michigan did. They got to beat Ohio State. They've got to win the Big Ten, which you know they did. You know, uh, uh, quite a few years ago. But uh, they've got to, they've got to beat Ohio State. They've got to win the Big Ten. They got to get to the college football playoff. But then it starts all over again. You know, right after the whether you get beaten the semifinal, the final, or you win it, it starts all over again. But they. I think personnel-wise. Well, I, w- I want to be more specific about what's, what it's going to take for them to do that. And I've got a something something specific in mind. It's 
I think Brian Hartline has been the most underrated assistant coach in college football for a number of years now. I think he's been on staff for four or five years, and he has transformed, along with Ryan Day, that entire Ohio State program. This program used to, under even under Urban Meyer, they would run that spread option over and over, and finally they hit a threshold in that Clemson game, that 31 to nothing Fiesta Bowl, where even Kirk Herbstreet was going, this offense is moldy. It is not working against defenses like this. You're not going to be able to run your quarterback in, in college football against defenses like this. They need to make a change. And I think Ryan Day really did that. And Brian Hartline helped him because Brian Hartline has been getting not just good, but great wideouts and a whole squadron of them. While, while at the same time, Penn State had four different wideouts coaches in four years. Now, Taylor Stubblefield, this will be his third year, but this is the first place he's been at for, for three years since he was in school at Purdue. Um, I think that has been a very telling um, division between the two programs where in 2017 and 2018, they played a couple of knockdown drag out games where Penn State was ahead by double digits in the fourth quarter. And they had those wideouts. But the last few years, really, even though the games have been relatively close, the talent on the field, you can see it, especially on the flanks. So what do you think of all that? Could you repeat that? (laughs) (laughs) I tend to get going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I mean, you know, like the three amigos uh, for Ohio State back in 2018, when Brian Hartline was suddenly promoted to head to a wide receiver coach uh, by Urban Meyer after he had to suddenly uh, uh, get, fire uh, Zach Smith. Well, Zach Smith had helped recruit those guys, helped develop those guys. Uh, but Brian Hartline, <clears throat> I don't think there's any doubt, has uh, taken it to another level. But like you said, it's part and parcel with the fact that uh, Urban Meyer had brought in Ryan Day the year before in 2017 to revamp their passing, basically add that more over-the-top big-time passing game to the offense, and it definitely has showed. And all they've done is add to that since then. And like I told you a while ago about playing catch-up, man, Ohio State has now become a destination for big-time quarterbacks and big-time receivers. Just look at those three receivers they got over like a, what, a week-and-a-half, two-week span commitments uh, a couple of weeks ago. Look at the, they've got, uh, uh, depending, on, depending on where you look, they've got three five-star quarterbacks uh, or, or at least high five, four-star quarterbacks in the fold right now with another one coming in a couple of years, Dylan Rayola. But uh, C.J. Stroud, everybody knows how good he is now. Uh, Cal McCord from right there in Pennsylvania, right there, four-and-a-half, five-star. And then Devin Brown, the number one quarterback in the signing class of 2022, they're all sitting there in the same quarterback room. They replaced a couple of guys who went elsewhere, Quinn Ewers and the other kid, but he's down in Florida. But uh, the bottom line is they've made it a destination school for big-time wide receivers and quarterbacks. And then you throw in there, they've got a – again, they've got a stable of big-time running backs – it's hard to play catch up in all those in all those areas, and uh, a really great offensive line. It looks like our potentially great offensive line stepping up this year, even though they lost a couple of guys from last year's line. You know, just just to name names, 
et cetera, is not what it's all about. It's also committing to a big-time passing attack. You know, Ohio State led the nation last year in total offense and at times was what I think uh, mediocre in the running game. But, oh, my goodness, Ohio State has never thrown the ball like it did a year ago. And with the audacity of throwing the ball, that's where uh, Ryan Day and this approach have really stood out. You still got to got to get to Jimmy's and Joe's to go with those X's and O's. And uh, and like I said, I think Penn State's doing a hell of a job recruiting, but it's really, really, really tough to play catch up when another place has got just such a, uh, and I, in my opinion, a big time lead in it. Yeah, I think the uh, the latest recruiting rankings, and you, you can throw out some so, some of the some of the some of the rankings. They they rank. Um, schools with a volume of players but you look at who they recruited and they're really three-star players and those those schools are up in the rankings where they won't be later on uh, where Alabama really hasn't chosen who they're going to who they're going to have and they're going to rise back up to where they they have been but the but the rankings basically have have borne out that it's it's Ohio State it's Texas it's it's Penn State it, it's Clemson it's schools that, who have established that that you're going to you're going to be able to to get these guys to the NFL, and if you can do that, that's half the battle. Let's go back to to wh- where you think Penn State is as far as 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 coaching the guys they get and and where they are as far as who their personality is. We talked about who who Ohio State is. I think Penn State has. A a and if, for instance, Wisconsin knows who they are. I think Michigan knew who they were. They were a smash mouth team last year, and I think they beat Ohio State because they knew their personality. I'm not sure Penn State knows who it is right now. So so respond to that. I think Penn State knows who it is. Is that the way you put it? Or knows who they are? Yeah, knows who. If we were in England, knows who they are. <laughs> knows who it is. You know, I'm not casting aspersions because I think I think these kids are really good player. But, dude, it, it anymore, it's who you got under – well, not under center. It's who you've got getting the ball in the uh, pistol or shotgun depth now. I'm talking about the quarterback. That makes such a difference when you look around the country. You see the teams are going to be competing for the national championship this year, at least on paper, going into the season. They've got big-time quarterbacks. You and I have had this discussion before. I think Sean Clifford is a really, really good quarterback. But, man, did you watch the Rose Bowl? You know what I mean? Uh, you've just got to have the guys who can, like Justin Fields before, and even uh, JT Barrett, got, rest in peace, Dwayne Haskins Jr., guys that are just a notch above in whatever it is uh, who could just make plays when you need them, either throwing the ball, running, or maybe doing both. And uh, that's what really comes back and defines well, things. Well, now, last Tim, Tim, I mean, if I may interrupt, you I don't think Jackson Smith and Jigba has been covered by Utah yet. I think he's still open. No, they haven't. But, 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 dude, what did Ohio State do? They exploited the fact, finally, that uh, Utah had quite a dearth of capable players in their secondary going into that Rose Bowl and then lost a guy, at least one guy during the game. They exploited. My point is you've got to have offensively, you've got to have it in your arsenal to take advantage of whatever that other defense uh, most allows, and that's exactly what Ohio State did against Utah. Finally, they got it going. Utah could not stop them. If that game had 
kept going, it might have been Ohio State 84, Utah 58. You know what I mean? If you could have played two more quarters. My point was in a uh, just an, a quirk of fate, Michigan ended up being extremely stout last year, exactly where Ohio State uh, defensively had an Achilles. And uh, that was uh, maybe a defensive line and a linebacker group that weren't quite up to snuff. And it might not have been as much the, the players involved as it was the schemes being played. Uh, and Michigan could see it coming down the road after the Oregon game. They could, uh, could see it coming around down the road. Now, those are the only two teams that beat Ohio State last year. But, but Michigan could see it coming down the road, and they had a matchup situation that they took advantage of, which Ohio State, uh, Ryan Day could hardly wait to address in the uh, offseason with hirings, et cetera, and firings. Uh, yeah, I, could, I, could, I think we could see it in the Penn State game in Columbus in that Penn State's defensive line, this was supposed to be a pretty damn good Ohio State offensive line also. Yeah. And Penn State's defensive line kind of handled them until Henderson got uh, got free on one long run. They yeah. were not the team at scrimmage that yeah. I think Ohio State had been before. And what, what else did Ryan Day change? Ryan Day changed his uh, offensive line coach from last year to this year, bringing in Justin Fry from UCLA, a guy he's had any uh, experience with before, and just basically to address the fact that push come to shove several times last year, they were not good enough running the football, lining up and running down your throat. I mean, Ryan Day might have finally this year offensively his consummate offense, a team that will have power, basically power within the tackles of running the ball, a, a guy they can put in the backfield other than Travion Anderson, a guy in Evan Pryor who can scare you like Curtis Samuel did several years ago on the edge, but then with – three or four or five of the best receivers in the country uh, with an offensive line that they think can be really good. He, this might be the best Ohio state offense perhaps ever. And I know you grew up a big Ohio state fan. That's saying a mouthful. <laughs> you know what though? I think, you know, this, I do get a kick now when Penn state beats Ohio state. You do. It's so much more fun. When Penn State beats Ohio State, and I I enjoy it when Penn State wins that game a yeah. lot. Wait, let's go back to something though you mentioned though a minute ago, Dave. They've had some like some dips and stuff, but I think I think Penn State still plays defense at a high level for the most part. I think they when you play Penn State, it was kind of like it used to be when Ohio State would play Michigan State way back in the day, you know. You're in for a fist fight, man, you know, a heavyweight fist fight. Now, you know, that doesn't mean any heavyweight can be beaten as Buster Douglas showed Mike Tyson, but it's got to be done. You know, uh, you, you got to keep you got to keep punching as Buster found out, you know. And uh, but uh, I, I think the quality is still there from a defensive standpoint with Penn State. You know, you're in for a fight, a heavyweight fight when you play them every year. I, I think you agree with me on that. That doesn't mean they're always going to shut you out or make the play that matters in the end, but it's going to be a physical afternoon or, or whiteout night uh, when you play them. You agree with that, right? I have a kind of a unique perspective on this more than a lot of guys from the East, simply because I'm a, a Midwestern native, I'm Ohio State graduate. I know so many people back in Ohio who tell me 
I, I would never say Ohio State fears anybody, but I think they have concern about Penn State more than Michigan over the years, over the maybe the last 10, de- 10 years. They've had more concern about Penn State than they have anyone else. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, thanks for being with us, Timbo. Uh, we didn't even get out with all the funny stories. We could have just we could have just told stories about the old days. Maybe we'll do that next time. There's still there's so much topical stuff to deal with though. Right now, we had to do this. Take it easy, man, and thanks for being with us. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Pen Live. 